You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. So there's always surprises in a local church, right? Well, let me tell you about one. Brother Ralph has been serving this church for a very long time. And he does so with humility. He does so with excellence. He does so with commitment. Um, and oftentimes you'll see him back here with the technology. Sometimes you don't see him at all, but he's here somewhere. Um, he, um, he can take all of this visual stuff and all of the sound stuff. I know stuff is probably not the technical word, right? Anyway, <laughs> and he just has a gift for that. We also know he's a gifted musician, but my goodness, he's a gifted singer as well. <laughs> Not only him, but Constance as well. And um, I tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm good to get one thing done halfway right, and Ralph does multiple things every week with incredible excellence. Ralph, we, we deeply appreciate all that you've done. We don't tell you enough, honestly. But we're glad to have you as part of our fellowship. And quite frankly, I don't know what we'd do without you, brother. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're my brother in Christ. I'm glad you're part of this church. Turn to James chapter 3. We've been walking through the book of James. If uh, you're a first-time guest today, man, we're glad you're here. Uh, th this is what Hyde Park is about. We're, we're about family and, and taking care of one another, looking out for one another. And I'm very thankful for folks who are led by the Holy Spirit. We, we, uh, we want our worship services not to be a service of order, although it should be orderly, but ultimately we want the Holy Spirit to lead and be obedient to Him. James chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a great vine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, 
It's in this moment that we ask that you would speak. And Father, whatever you have to say to us today, we are listening. Father, we know that James has already told us by your hand that faith without works is a dead faith. It's not faith at all. So, Father, I pray that by faith this morning, we would listen to what you have to say. And not only that we would be hearers of your word, but we would be doers also. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In 1973, there was a news article that ran in Japan, of all places. And the news article was talking about the coming toilet paper shortage. Now, you thought... You thought that that toilet paper shortage a few months ago was a new thing. Nothing new under the sun. 1973, this article runs in in, in the news in Japan, and and the next thing you know, a U.S. senator begins to warn of the same thing. He writes an article about the coming shortage of toilet paper, and guess what happens? Everybody's calm, and nobody loses their mind. Nobody runs to the grocery store and buys all the toilet paper. No, exactly the opposite. Not only are all the, toilet paper, all the toilet paper purchased from every possible store, but out of a few words that were mentioned in Japan and a few words that were mentioned in America, there turns into a black market. Now, when I read this, I'm thinking, okay, so you go down on the street corner at night. You got like $20 in your pocket. You meet some shady guy. I'm thinking long trench coat. And you're slipping him some money. He opens his trench coat and hands you rolls of toilet paper. Well, apparently something like that was happening in 1973 because you couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. And can we all just be honest, we get a little anxious when there's no toilet paper, all right? But not only that, in that period of time in 1973, if if you got an invitation to a bridal shower or to like a family cookout or uh, like a baby shower, on the printed invitation that you would receive in the mail, down in the bottom in fine print, it would say, bring your own toilet paper. That's how people, how stressed out people were about the shortage of toilet paper. And it all started with just a few words. Now that's a kind of a unique example, but we don't have to look very far in our history to see how powerful words are. Adolf Hitler was very powerful with his words. So much so that he convinced his nation that the white race was superior and that there were other races that were less than animals and therefore something should be done and of course something was. 11 million people, 6 million Jewish people put to death. James says there is power in our words. And what James is going to show us is that one of the smallest members of our body, one of the smallest organs that we have, actually turns out to be one of the most powerful. Last week we talked about how that there are two categories of faith and that every person in this room and every person watching online fits into one of these categories. Either you have saving faith or you have dead faith. And James said that the way to discern between the two is that saving faith has evidence that is connected to it, works, the way we live. Now, James was clear, and James and Paul do not disagree, 
That it is not by works that we gain salvation, but certainly after we are born again, after our lives are changed, there is evidence of the changed life in how we live and how we spend our money, how we spend our time. And get this, James says in chapter 3, and how we speak, how we use our words. One of the ongoing works that the Holy Spirit is performing in our lives is the control of the tongue. Now, James is going to say that it can't be tamed. James is going to say that it's unruly. And we're going to talk about James in respect to what is this tongue and what does it do and what kind of problems does it cause. And James provides some incredible illustrations here, as we've already seen in the book, that James is really good at giving us pictures, word pictures, of how to understand what he's trying to teach us. James is going to say that our speech is to be tempered. What does it mean to be tempered? Now, some of us have a tempered speech in a bad way. <laughs> tempered meaning, meaning every time you open your mouth, your anger and temper is showing. That's not what we're talking about. A tempered faith means a, con- or tempered tongue means a controlled tongue, one that is conditioned. He's already raised this topic in chapter 1, verse 19, when he said this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and what? Slow to speak. So let's take a look at some of the illustrations that, that James gives us in relation to the tongue. Look at verse 1, not, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with a stricter, with a greater strictness. Now, there are times when you read the book of James, it seems like James kind of goes off on a tangent here. It's almost like James is talking about something that's completely disconnected from the other things that he's going to say in this paragraph. And I will admit, there are times when I read the book of James where I'm like, why did you say that right here? Matter of fact, most of my study in the book of James has been trying to figure out why James said what he said at that particular moment in relation to the other things that he's saying. Well, it's not that though James is just throwing out some kind of teaching here separate from what else he's getting ready to say about the tongue. What James is going to talk about is how the small things have big impact. And that's no more true than the people he's writing to. Former Jewish people who've put their faith in Jesus as Messiah and now we're being influenced by false teachers. He says to them, Be careful when you take on the role of teaching someone else. Now, folks, every single week, this is a stress for me. Just going to be honest with you. Because Sunday's coming. Every week, there's a Sunday, and every week, I give the the awesome privilege of standing before you and teaching what God's Word says. But here's the thing. I am up here saying, thus says the Word of God. I better be doggone sure that what I'm saying is what God has said. And so it is with you. When you're posting on Facebook, God has said, you're sharing someone else what somebody else is saying about what God has said, you better be sure that God actually said that. Small group leaders, hear me well. You're teaching a group of 15, 20 people. It doesn't lessen just because you have small group title next to your name and I have pastor next to mine. It doesn't matter. James says, if you are teaching the word, you you better be slow to take on that mantle. And and if you do take it on, you better make sure you understand that God is going to hold you accountable for everything that you said he said. And wouldn't it be a bad thing if we put words in the mouth of God that he never said? 
Wouldn't it be bad for us to post something on Facebook saying that God says this when he didn't say it? Well, now you're starting to see how important this is. James says, and it sticks in perfectly with what he's going to say about small things making big impact. In, in his day in the synagogue, there was one or two teachers in a room full of 100, 200 people. One person influencing a group of 100 or more. One person small in number in relation to the number of people listening to the teaching, just like it is this morning. I am a small number compared to the number that is here, both first and second service. So there is an impact that something small and seemingly insignificant can make. All through the New Testament, we have false teachers creeping in. And they're having a tremendous influence on the early church. James is going to tell us here that not only is it a serious thing to take on the mantle of teacher, that we're going to be held accountable for every word. And the reason that it's so important is you may be just one person leading a group of 200. Think about the influence that you have there. One small person in relation to the whole. Look at verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. If you're thinking this morning, by the way, if you've already checked out on this sermon going, ah, this doesn't apply to me, listen to verse 2. If you have control over your tongue, if you believe you have control over your tongue, James says, well, you've got control over your whole body, and I doubt either one of those is actually true. Some of you have grown and matured in Christ to where you do, and I'm in awe of you, by the way, you have the ability to be in a room full of people discussing difficult things, and you don't say a word, you just sit there and you wait, but when you speak, man, everybody listens. It's because you've gained wisdom and maturity. All of us as Christ followers are growing up into Christ. But let me make sure we're clear on what James is saying here. Before this day is out, you could say the wrong thing. And you could really hurt someone and cause a lot of damage. And in verse 3, he begins to give us illustrations to help us kind of wrap our arms around this. The first one he gives is a horse. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I'm not... Not into horses. Uh, I know enough to be probably dangerous around them, but nonetheless, I've been around them enough to know that you can put a rod in their mouth and put some leather straps on the sides. And, and if that horse has been trained and, and you've taught that horse to, to obey, that, that over time you've been able to train that animal that when you pull on this one little old leather strap, you can turn its head and turn its entire body at an 800-pound animal with one little rod in its mouth and one little leather strip James says that you can put a bit in a horse's mouth, an 800-pound animal, and you can lead that animal. The next one, verse 4, he says, Look at the ships also, that they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder with a captain or a pilot. If you go down to uh, Wilmington, you cross over that bridge, you look out to your right into the harbor, you see all those places where they're unloading those ships, and you've got these massive cargo ships. I mean, these things are two or three, four or five football fields long, and there's all those containers stacked 
on this ship, and it blows my mind that that ship can even float with all that weight on it, but nonetheless, at the back of that ship, on the very tallest point, is a little bitty room, and inside that room is one single guy, and he may have a team of people helping him, but he is the captain of that ship, and he turns a wheel, and it turns a rudder, and that rudder is very small in relation to those three football fields of a ship out in front of it, and one little turn, one little angle change on that rudder changes the direction of an entire ship, and even regardless of storms and wind, at the helm is a captain who guides that ship. James says that a bit in a horse's mouth is very small. A ship's rudder is very small, yet they have great control and great power. Look at verse 5, he says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it grows boast of many things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We've heard these stories out in California where hundreds of thousands of acres is burned to the ground. Homes are lost, and they track it all back. And where did it start? Some guy driving down the road and flips a lit, lit cigarette out the window. It lands in some straw. The straw catches on fire. And the next thing you know, over hundreds of thousands of acres is burned to the ground. A small spark turns into a forest fire that destroys everything in its path. Verse 7, James says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Back in the 80s, I can't remember the names of these guys. They were a little odd, but there was this Vegas show. I've never been to Vegas. I just saw it on TV where they would bring these Bengal tigers out on stage and they had nothing on them other than just like a rope. These tigers, by their very nature... Well, they're meat eaters. And there's an audience full of potential meals in that building. And there's nothing similar. There's no caves. There's no bars. The tiger is laying on the stage. And right there are thousands of people. And the tiger just kind of remains there. He might lick his lips every now and then. But he just lays there. He's been tamed. A tiger. Cobras. Oxen. All have been tamed by humanity. And James says, verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. <laughs> the point of all that James is saying is, is that very small things can have very big impact. Whether it be bits in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, or a small spark in a pile of dry sticks, it all can make a huge difference. You may have heard this phrase, You've maybe even said it a few times. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know where that phrase came from? It came from a newsletter in 1862 printed by the African Episcopal Methodist Church. And it was put in there for the idea of teaching young people to be strong when people are mocking them. The idea was is that that a stick or a stone may hurt. A stick or a stone may, may hurt your bones, may hurt you in some way, but you don't have to worry about words because words will have no impact on you. Words will not hurt you. Words have no impact like a stone or a stick. Can I just tell you that this is one of the biggest fables that has ever come upon humanity in my recent memory? Because some of you right now have something that was said to you when you were a child, and it still hurts to this very day. As a matter of fact, if possible, you would have preferred to have got hit upside the head with something, a stone or a stick, but not that word. Not what was said to you. 
Wives and husbands, you may be carrying around some pain of something your spouse said to you years ago that that spouse doesn't even know was said or completely forgotten about, but it, it hurt. It hurt deeply. What James is going to teach us is that words actually do hurt, and they hurt deeply. And that we need to be mindful of the fact that such a small muscle can set an entire forest ablaze. It's interesting to me that when God created us and when he built us, he decided to put that tongue behind some teeth and some lips that is caged in our mouth. I think there's some reasoning. I think there's some purpose behind that, don't you think? I think that maybe we got these bars of teeth and these lips that that maybe God is saying to us exactly what he says in verse 19 through James, be quick to hear and what? Slow to speak. Let's look at some things that James says specifically about the tongue. Verse 5. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, it's one thing to display pride and arrogance, maybe in the way you dress, the way you carry yourself. Have you ever seen people carry themselves and you go, man, that, that person right there is, well, they're all about themselves. But you're not really sure about how prideful or arrogant are. How do you know for certain when they're a prideful, arrogant person? Their speech. My dad used to tell me growing up, he said, you know, people can assume that you're dumb, but don't prove it by the way you talk. Same thing stands for arrogance and pride. You you may look prideful, you may look arrogant, but we're not really sure until you begin to speak. And it's when you begin to speak that our tongue boasts of great things. That's where pride and arrogance is on full display. James says that this member, this small muscle in our mouth that we call a tongue, has a tendency to boast out of pride and arrogance. Has a tendency to brag Put a group of men together at a barbecue that you might have this afternoon and let one guy talk about his scar. Oh, let me show you this scar right here, what happened, and you hear the story, and next thing you know, somebody else, well, I got this scar over here, let me tell you what happened. Yeah, guys, let's call that what it is, it's boasting. You know, we, we talk about our injuries and our football injuries and all that stuff, and we're trying to outdo the other guy. We have a tendency to boast and to be arrogant and to pride and to be prideful, and James says... It's an indication of something about our faith. The second thing he says in verse 6, look at this. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Did you get that? A world of unrighteousness. If good works accompanies saving faith, then one of the first evidences of a changed life is how we talk. If you look back at the moment you put your faith in Jesus, probably one of the first things that you began to wrestle with and struggle with is maybe some of the language that you was using before you met Jesus, and now you're hearing that those things are not God-honoring, so you begin to work on your speech and begin to work on how you talk, and and you're wanting to, to overcome some of the ways that you used to speak before. Maybe it was dirty jokes, maybe it was running other people down, maybe it was gossip, unrighteousness. And oftentimes, people will say, man, that person has really changed. Well, how do you know? Well, they they just don't talk the way they used to. They're just different. James says that our tongues can be a world of unrighteousness. One of the things that's bothered me over the last many years in ministry, and I I don't want to pick on our young people, but I'm going to have to for just a moment. 
The world has a foul language and a foul speech. And what I have found is that even among kids who claim to follow Jesus, they are mimicking what they're hearing in the world through media, through movies, and through everything else. And it's just become accepted and in some circles became cool. It's a cool factor to drop the F-bomb every time our mouths are open. Or to use the Lord's name in vain every time our mouths are open. And you know what James says? James says that is unrighteous speech. It is wrong. It's not cool at all. As a matter of fact, oftentimes when I hear people using that kind of language, what I find out is, is that, well, is speaking out of a place of ignorance. James says that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, and unfortunately, I believe the world is beginning to influence how we're speaking more than we're influencing the world. It's become normalized. It's become embraced. Almost cool in some circles. Look at verse 8. James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. So the tongue can't be tamed. It's a world of righteousness. It can set the world on fire. It can't be controlled. And James says it can't be tamed. Well, thank you, James, for this encouraging set of verses. He says it can't be tamed. The tongue gains freedom, takes charge when you get angry or when you're threatened. Am I wrong about that? I don't think I am. Someone makes you angry, when does the tongue become very untamed when you lash out? I don't know what it is about me in Walmart <laughs> that causes me to struggle with what James is saying right here in James chapter 3, but just in Walmart the other day, I, I just wanted to go in there and buy some stuff. I wanted to cook my family a nice dinner, so I had to go buy some stuff and I'm focused like a laser when I go into Walmart. I've got my list. I know exactly where I'm going. My goal is to get in and out as quickly as possible, but I seem to forget that it's Memorial Day weekend. Therein lies the problem. Place was packed. I got my little shopping cart, and I'm just trying to get, I got my stuff. I'm heading to the checkout line. I'm looking for a checkout line, and as I'm looking to the right, the guy who's in front of me dead stops there's a woman right behind me, an older woman with a, go, with a cart, and she doesn't get stopped and just slams right in the back of my legs, right? Like maybe tailgating a little tight there, you know, a little space will help. <laughs> and then this lady behind me says this out loud. I mean, she's mad. Here's what she says. I wish you'd figure out which way you're going. I've been studying James all week. Lord help me. Uh, I turned around. And uh, like I told the first service, there was something in me. I wanted to punch that lady right between the eyes. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> Your pastor just said that. Yes, he did. And I'm sorry. And I had to clamp my bars down and because what I was thinking I didn't need to say. And by the way, I knew if I had punched that lady, this ran through my mind. There's security cameras in there. How would you like to see that on Facebook? <laughs> The last thing you see me coming in a, oh, that would have been awful, wouldn't it? The, the best I could do is I said, ma'am, I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just doing the best I can. And I, and I was, I was just wanting to get out of there. She was not very nice, not very kind. But anyway, just as it was prayed a little while ago, I struggle with the same things you do. I haven't got into some kind of like tight thing with Jesus where I get special treatment. 
I wrestle with keeping my mouth shut. Some of you I've hurt with my words. I've had to come back and make that right. And it very well may be that in the future I may mess up again, but I will make it right. James says we can't tame the tongue. And when, when, when people treat you, mistreat you, when, hey, here's a, here's a time to get your tongue tested. How, how good are you at taming your tongue when your kids are under attack? When your kid comes home from school and you learn about some, something that happened at school where your kid's being picked on. Parents, let me ask you, how are you doing in that moment? How tamed is your tongue at that moment? Well, I know, because I failed in that as well. It's in those moments where we are threatened. It's in those moments when somebody's pushing those buttons that all restraint comes off of our tongue. The tongue takes the lead. And afterwards, we are left wondering how in the world could I have said those things? By the way, that's a good thing. I'll come back to that in just a minute. So James says that our tongue is a world of unrighteousness, that our, that our tongue boasts of great things. Our tongue cannot be tamed. And look at what he says in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So our tongue is also deceitful. So in one moment we can praise the Lord and talk about how wonderful people are, and in the same moment, even minutes later, gossip about the very person we just told that we loved. Gossip and if you've been to starting point with me, you've heard me talk about this. Gossip is the very thing that undermines all efforts to unify a church. It is, it is the exact epitome of, 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 of death and separation and destruction of the unity of a church. And did you know that as you read the writings of Paul and you see the list of sins that he often mentions, gossip is listed right there along with murder, Homosexuality, read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. It's deceitful. One minute we're blessing people, the other minute we're cursing them. But James adds a, a caveat there to that verse that we need to pay attention to. He says that we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Listen, that person that you disagree with the most, that person that is far, far away from Jesus, that person who absolutely, every time they open their mouth, they're tearing you down. You want, with every fiber of your being, to put that person in their place. You want to pronounce a curse over them. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that hatred in our heart can lead to murder in our heart. James says he wants to remind us of something. That person that you're upset with is created in the image of God. They may be an atheist. They may, they may hate the God you love. But James says even in that moment, in that person, that human being that you're talking to, they have value even if you disagree with everything about them. You're still called the love neighbor as self. And it's through our speech that we often tear others down. Folks, i got to put this on the table because this week I read a document that was filled with deceit. It was filled with corruption. It was filled with abuse. And after I read it, it made me sick. And I'm still wrestling with it. Last Sunday, 
There was a document that came out of a near 10-month investigation in the Southern Baptist Convention about sexual abuse. I've been a Southern Baptist for, well, ever since 99. But I've never been more embarrassed and more disappointed in my life than what I read in those 288 pages. Because what I read in those 288 pages fits in exactly with what James is talking about. Because in those pages, here's what I read. Women who were abused even raped, who, who went to our convention leaders to let them know what had happened. And those convention leaders, not only did they not deal with it, they hid it. And not only did they hit it, in some instances, they turned the victim into the one who was causing the problems, abused them even more. And I'm embarrassed, and I'm sickened, and we're going to have to repent because God's not going to bless that mess. Deceitful. Saying one thing out of one side of our mouth when the crowd's watching, but in the back room dealing with a woman who's been abused saying something totally different. Hypocrisy. The Pharisees were good at it, and Jesus called them out for it. So James says, there is no way to tame the tongue. So what do we do here? How do we, how do we deal with this? Well, Jesus gives us a solution. Turn to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is dealing with some Pharisees, religious rulers, who were living out the epitome of hypocrisy. They were living a religious life, but on the inside... Jesus said they were full of dead men's bones. They were rotten to the core. On the outside, they looked very together. On the inside, they were broken. Outside, religious rituals. Inside, cold and indifferent. Outside, everyone looked up to them because of what looked like to be faithfulness, but on the inside, they had a dead faith. And in the early part of chapter 15, Jesus confronts them about the fact that they've taken their traditions, their interpretations of the law, and they've elevated them to such a degree that they were filled with pride and arrogance. Look at verse 10. And he called the people to him and he said to them, now the disciples are with him at this point, he says, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Now this was mind-blowing in the moment. Because they had all of the dietary restrictions and uh, so focused on what they ate and how they ate it and how it would be prepared. The washing of their hands. They even had a hierarchy that, that if you washed your hands and you washed them most vigorously, that you were more righteous than someone else. That's how insane this whole thing had become. And Jesus says, I'm talking about your heart, not the outward rituals. I'm talking about what's going on on the inside of you. And let me tell you, it's not what you consume that defiles you. Look at verse 15. Peter said to him, explain that to us. Explain that parable to us. What do you mean that, that it's not what we eat and not how we wash our hands that defiles us? In other words, Peter, who's been raised as a Jewish man, is struggling with what Jesus had just said, so Jesus is going to clear it up for him. He says, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? I don't have to break that down. I think it's kind of obvious for all of us, right? Jesus is saying it's not the food that you eat that makes you clean or unclean. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds 
from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and what? Slander. You see, what's upstream from the tongue? What's upstream from the mouth is the heart. And the tongue is speaking the contents of what's actually in your heart. So if we go back to last week, and turn back over to James if you don't mind. If we go back to last week, we talk about dead faith versus saving faith. One of the key indications between dead faith and saving faith is the content of the heart. And what's coming out of the heart comes through the mouth and reveals the reality of where the heart is in relation to Christ and the gospel. Look at what James says. Verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Here's what James says. James says, if you have a salt water pool, guess what comes out of that salt water pool? No shot, salt water. If you have a spring with fresh water, salt water doesn't come out of a fresh water spring, only fresh water. He goes on, he says, can a fig tree bear olives? No, fig trees bear what? Figs. He says, can a grapevine produce figs? No, only grapes. What's James saying? James saying is the reality of who you are is what comes out of your mouth. So when James says you can't tame the tongue, he is absolutely correct. You can't go to a class. It doesn't matter how much seminary you have. It doesn't matter how much Bible training you have. It doesn't matter if you've been in Sunday school for 25 years with perfect attendance. Something from the outside, trying to fix your tongue from the outside, will never, ever work. There's got to be a heart transplant. We've got to go upstream from the tongue. We've got to go upstream to the source, and we've got to go deal with the source. And the source is, is your heart. And either your heart has experienced saving faith or dead faith. Either your heart has expressed faith in Jesus that is accompanied by works that says they've been changed. Or you have a whole bunch of rituals and religion and no life change. So it's not the tongue. It's not the muscle behind your teeth. It's not the problem. The muscle behind your teeth is reacting to what's in your heart. So three things I want you to consider before we, before we go. First of all, let's extend the tongue to your fingers. What do I mean by that? Your tongue extends to your fingers. Well, today we have access to the World Wide Web and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and a half dozen other things that I don't know about. And it's on that place where you can type with your fingers the contents of your heart. And when you're typing... See, always serving. So we better be careful with what we type. Because what we're typing can also show what's in our heart. And my goodness, folks, we got a whole lot of platforms today in which to express what's in our heart. The second thing we need to consider this morning is that if you have no restraint 
that can mean you're in real trouble spiritually. I would ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to. Followers of Jesus, let me ask you a question. How many times have you said the wrong thing and had to go back and mop that mess up and make it right? How many times have you said the wrong thing and at the very moment you said it, you felt the conviction, right? You felt, oh man, I crossed the line. You know what that is? First of all, that's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit saying you crossed the line, make it right. But let me speak to those of you who've gotten to the point now where you can say whatever you want, the contents of your heart, no matter how unrighteous, no matter how much of a forest it sets ablaze, and you feel nothing. If anything, you might even feel happy about it. Can we just all agree that there's something deeply, deeply wrong with your heart? Could be very well that you're lost. Could be very well that you've never come to faith in Christ. It could be that you repeated a prayer, but your life has never been changed. And your mouth is only giving, a, a, giving evidence of the fact that you have dead faith. Third, a heart transplant is the only cure. Jesus gives you a brand new heart, a brand new life. This is the only way to change your tongue. The only way. And even then, even then we still fail. Even then we make a mistake because we've not, we've not claimed, we've not arrived at perfection yet. That'll come later, but not now. In this journey we're on, we should be growing and controlling our speech. And as James says, be slow to speak and quick to hear. We're all growing up into that. How's your growth doing? How, how are you doing in allowing your heart to control your tongue and what you say and what you choose not to say. I would imagine that there are people here today, you may have crossed the line with maybe your spouse, your coworkers. Maybe you said some harsh things. Maybe you said it in sarcasm. Maybe you've been gossiping. And maybe right now you're feeling some conviction about that. That's a good thing. Lean into that. Don't turn away from it. The fact is we've all failed in that. The reality is that the Lord's speaking to you and bringing that to the surface right now. Do not disobey what he's asking you to do. And he's asking you to name it, call it what it is, sin. Ask him to forgive you of it, clean it up, and start over. Some of you here today have never been born again. You've never been changed. Your heart is just as dark as it was the day you were born. And you were born into sin. Today can be a brand new start, clean slate. That's what the gospel does. Brand new start. Father in heaven, your word is perfect and pure and we do take very seriously the role we have in trying to teach it. And Father, we realize the influence that, that we can have either in teaching or in speaking in any way. And Father, help us to always represent you well, but that can only happen through a transformed heart. Father, you're speaking to people right now about the condition of their heart. And I pray, Father, that they would be real and honest with you. Oh, we thank you that grace is sufficient. Your mercy is fresh and new every morning. And Father, that you can change a heart. So Father, if there are folks here today or online that you're speaking to, I pray, Father, that they would not wiggle out from under your conviction, that they would simply be obedient and surrender. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.